If you have a Bible, let me invite you to turn to Philippians chapter 2. For the next five weeks, we're going to consider uh, this move into our new home and what that will uh, what that will mean like what that will mean for us. Uh, I want to start off with kind of asking the question: What kind of neighbor will we be? Uh, I tried a little experiment this morning uh, to kind of get a feel for how we might approach uh, the new building, and I took one chair out of the new sanctuary uh, and brought it over. They're all stacked up uh, in the back over the side, waiting for the wiring to get done in the worship space, and I and I placed it very strategically, kind of out there in the middle of the room, and I waited to see who would sit in it, because it's the most comfortable chair in this room by far, and nobody sat in the chair. Did you see it? It's right next to you. See that, see that chair right next to you? Yeah, that really comfortable one that you're not sitting in? And, and I watch, and, and I saw, I watch you guys, I'm not like stalking, but I watch you guys going to the row, okay, now somebody's going to sit in that chair. Nope, sat down right next to it. Somebody else came in, up, oh, sat down right next to it. I don't know if it was like this is a really good chair. I don't think I should be in it, or I don't want to look too selfish or whatever. But uh, for those of you that are curious after the service, we'll make a line, and you can go sit in that chair. Uh, but, I, but I think it's a fair question. What kind of neighbors will we be? Because when somebody moves in next door to you, don't you kind of ask that question? I wonder what these folks will be like. I wonder what we can expect. I think what, what uh, Bruce, Travis, and Shwini uh, were getting to was really asking the question, what kind of neighbors will we be? Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 through 18, hear the word of God. Paul says to the Christians in Philippi, Therefore, my beloved, or my dear friends, would be a way that we would say that today. As you have always obeyed, so now not only in my presence, but much more in my absence... Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Do all things without grumbling or questioning, that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish and in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world." holding fast to the word of life, so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. For even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. This is the reading of God's holy and perfect word. To him alone be glory. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the stories this morning. Thank you for the stories that we sang in worship that remind us of your faithfulness, your mercy, and your grace, and your goodness. Father, I thank you for the stories of 2028 that we were reminded of on the screen, the different places that uh, we kind of spread out to all over the city and serving friends and ministry partners and neighbors. Father, I thank you for the stories uh, that Bruce told and just helping some folks for an afternoon and then hearing Matt and Travis talk about how an afternoon noon turned into 40 days and 40 nights. That's pretty cool that that number worked out that way. Uh, and it was because of the rain that something amazing happened. So we thank you, Lord, for those stories. Mostly, Lord, we thank you for the story of our Lord Jesus, who was rich yet for our sake became poor, who humbled himself, became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Not only that his name would be highly exalted, but so that 
pitiful sinners like every person gathered in this room this morning could find salvation, could have redemption, and experience unconditional love. We are a poor reflection of that love, Father. We fail often to follow you in that. So as we consider beginning this morning, uh, what kind of neighbors we will be, what kind of folks we will be, the community around us, we pray that you would teach us. My opinion of what a neighbor should be is completely irrelevant. Uh, it is only your eternal word that matters, and it is, we pray that you would open our hearts to what you want to teach us this morning. Please forgive me for my sin. Don't let me stand in the way of your truth. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Let me give you the sermon in a sentence. We're going to move right along this morning. Living as children of God includes following our Father's directives in the context of His assurances. So some key words there this morning. We're talking about the lives that we live, not just the words we say, but the way in which we uh, live and act in our family, in our community, in our businesses, in our schools. Uh, and we are under our Father's directives. He's given us instructions. We're going to look at that this morning. That'll be the first part of the sermon. What are the directives that our Father gives us? But we also understand those directives in the context of His assurances. So just like any good parent who is teaching their child and bringing them along, uh, part of what they do is they teach, they instruct, they give information on the pathway for the child to follow, and we're going to get that this morning. But secondarily, a good parent, uh, uh, an, an effective parent, always leads by example, always shows the way, helps the child understand why mom or dad is saying this or saying that, saying yes to these things, maybe saying no to those things. Why is that? Well, it's under the context of the assurance of the parent, and that's what we want to look at this morning. We're going to move pretty quickly through the father's directives because there are six of them. Uh, we won't take any, uh, too much time on any one of them, but you can certainly go back and do some more study for yourself. What is our father telling us? What is our life to be uh, as we follow him through the grace of Jesus? The first thing Paul says in verse 12 is obedience. We are to obey. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so, not, uh, so now not only my presence but much more my absence, then he continues to go on and give them instructions. Now you might read that and go, well, I don't always obey, so this doesn't apply to me. <laughs> but Paul is using some general language here to say you are following the pathway of your faith. You are, you are moving in that direction. When I was with you and when I taught you, you were learning to obey, and I want you to keep heading down that pathway. What Paul is understanding here is that the new life that God gives us, when you come to faith in Christ, God is imparting to you a new life. And along with that new life, God gives us a desire or a longing to follow Christ and to honor him in our lives. We're not always going to get it right. We're going to fall short. We're going to make mistakes. But at the end of the day, it's not just that your position before God changes when you become a Christian. It's not that it's just you move from not being saved to being saved, but there's a heart transformation that begins to take place, and new priorities come into your life. A new way of looking at the world occurs. I'm not going to put it on the screen, but listen to what the psalmist says in the first four verses of the 101st Psalm. He's talking about the way he thinks about God's world. I will sing of the steadfast love and justice 
To you, O Lord, I will make music. I will ponder the way that is blameless. Oh, when will you come to me? I will walk with integrity of heart within my house. I will not set before my eyes anything that is worthless. I hate the work of those who fall away. It shall not cling to me. A perverse heart shall be far from me. I will know nothing of evil. What's he talking about? He's talking about obeying the word of God. He's talking about the new desire that that God has put in his heart to obey his father's words. One of the things you'll see if you read uh, not just the abbreviated version of our, of our mission statement, but if you read it in its entirety, we talk about following Jesus in joyful obedience. Why is it joyful? Why is it not drudgery? Why is it not duty? Why is it not oppressive? Why is it joyful? Because God's put his song in our heart. Because the Spirit of God is making our heart alive to the things of God. So that when our Father says, I want you to obey, we long for that to be the reality of our lives. Not only do we obey, but secondly, Paul says that one of the Father's directives is that we work out our salvation. We're still in verse 12. Not only in my presence, but now in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Now, we must be very careful here not to abuse this passage of Scripture. Work out, I've put it at the bottom, does not mean work to earn. Paul is not ignoring the cross of Jesus Christ. He spent the entire first two chapters up to this point explaining the glory of the cross of Christ and the grace of God that is found therein. You can't earn your salvation, and I can't earn my salvation any more than we could sprout wings and fly to the moon. It is impossible. Can't do that by myself. I would need need a spaceship to accomplish that. There's no way in the world that could happen. There's no way in the world you or I, as sinful, broken people, can earn our salvation. So Paul is not saying try to earn, try to work, try to do something that will get God's attention. To go, oh, that, that, that woman or that man's kind of nice. I think I'll let him in to the family. Paul is saying now that, you're salv- now that you're saved, now that you've experienced salvation, practice it. Try it on. See how it feels. Fine-tune it. Uh, make, make some new habits out of your life. Uh, create these, the, these habits with, with great care. That's why he says, with fear and trembling. Ha- have reverence and, and awe for God. Uh, love him deeply and understand that your father is the creator of all that is. He's the king of all kings. So there needs to be a sense of awe in your life. But practice your faith. What do you practice in your life? What have you tried to get good at in your life? It could be part of your career. It could be just something that, you know, maybe you're an amateur golfer and you've tried to get your handicap way down. Maybe you, you, you sing and you like to sing and you've taken voice lessons to get better. I've worked in my life to be able to tell a convincing story. I, I've worked in my life to be able to stand and look somebody straight in the face and tell them a story, whether it's true or not. Now, I tell true stories in church. I don't make stuff up. But I'm going to tell you about a story where I made something up and I convinced the person it was true. I'm standing in line Friday at the um, uh, Panda uh, Chinese restaurant down at Kirkwood and, and uh, Woodbine, catty corner from the Magic House. And I've gone over there to get some lunch for the staff. They're, we've got working real hard and stuff, so I'm going to take lunch back. And I go in, and I, I've ordered, and I'm standing in line getting ready to pay, and I'm surrounded by high school kids. So Kirkwood High School seniors uh, can go off campus for lunch, 
and anybody that they can sneak off with them can go along too. So there's a whole bunch of kids in there. There's a really cheap buffet, like for $3.99. So all high school kids are in there, and I'm standing there in line, and there's three little high school girls standing right over here, and I'm here with the cash register. And all of a sudden, a kid taps me on the shoulder, and he says, Sir, are you waiting in line? I said, Yeah, but I'm just waiting to pick something up. He said, Well, I just need to get some chopsticks. Do you mind if I... I said, No, come on. And I backed up. He steps up in front. The woman behind the cash register is Asian, and he starts speaking to her. This little white kid starts speaking to her in fluent Chinese, okay? So now these three girls are kind of looking at him, and, and I'm kind of looking at him, and the woman behind the counter gets this big smile on her face, and she starts talking back to him, and she hands him the chopsticks, okay? He turns and he walks away, and as he's turning and walking away, the girls are watching him, and now they make eye contact with me. And I said, I don't know if you know what he just said, but, but let me translate. He said he wanted some chopsticks. <laughs> and, and they looked at me and went, really? You understood that? <laughs> and, I, and I was truthful. I said, yes, I understood that. And she gave him the chopsticks, right? And they're like, oh, man, look, that, that old guy, man, he speaks Chinese too. And I guarantee it, later on in the afternoon, one of them went, how stupid are we? <laughs> right? I've worked hard at being able to tell a convincing story. You've worked hard at things in your life. Why? Because you want to get better at it. You want to be proficient at it. And God's put this new desire in our hearts that Paul picks up on. He says, work it out. Practice it. Don't ever stop. Be diligent about how you follow your father. Obey. Work out. And then in verse 14, he says, do. Do all things. And then he looks at the negative. Without grumbling or questioning. Paul says the tone of our life, the manner in which we go about things, not necessarily what we do, but how we do them, attitudinally speaking, should reflect an inner reality of the grace of God. Paul says there shouldn't be this grumbling spirit in your life on a regular basis. I understand every once in a while you get a little cranky. Every once in a while you don't get enough sleep or you haven't had enough to eat and you get a little cranky. Paul's not talking about that, but he's saying their basic form of life should not be as a person who is grumbling. And that, that the Greek there means kind of a sullen type of below the surface, almost a, a secret discontent. Uh, an English word you could use here would be muttering. And some folks think that that's their job in the life of the church, that their job is to go around and make sure that they, you know, they voice the complaints that certainly everybody else is feeling. And, and I, and I got to be honest with you, if you think that's your spiritual gift, I got to tell you, it's not. God hasn't given anybody that gift. In fact, God has said, stay away from that. doesn't mean you shouldn't ask questions when it's appropriate to ask questions. But Paul says that there shouldn't be an attitude of grumbling in your midst. And this notion of without questioning, it's a sense of a selfish, complaining spirit that my thoughts and actions really are all about me. And so what Paul is saying there is, is move towards selflessness, move away from selfishness. That's what you are to do as you obey God and work out your salvation with the appropriate reverence towards God. The fourth thing he calls us to is following our Father's directives are to be blameless. Look at verse 15. We do things without grumbling and questioning why, that you may be blameless and innocent children of God. We'll come back to children in a few minutes. But what Paul is saying there, and be blameless, is he's talking about the actions of our lives. He's talking about the things that other folks can see. When he talks about being innocent, he, what he's saying there is when you think about your own life, 
You have a, you have a thought of you, you're following God and you're being faithful. So being innocent means that, that the way in which I see myself, I see myself progressing in my faith. But blameless is really what other people see of you. So when other people look at you at the grocery store or me uh, at the hockey rink or wherever we find ourselves, whatever we're doing, do they see a family resemblance? Do they see the the notion of blamelessness, not arrogance, not pride, not self-righteousness, but rather a passion for the purity of God in our lives? Do they see a humble people? Do they see a serving people? Do they see a gentle people? That's what Paul's after when he talks about blameless. Cindy and I went out uh, on a date night in early August right after she got back from being with our daughter Katie who's in Hawaii and she and her husband, I was about to say they're very pregnant. He's not pregnant. She's almost due. And so Cindy spent a month with them and she came back and I planned a special date night for us. And we walked into the restaurant uh, where I had reservations for us and I looked at the hostess and as soon as I looked at her eyes, I knew I knew her but I couldn't quite place her. But after about, about 10 seconds, I, looked, I said, that's a Graniason. I, I know those eyes anywhere. And sure enough, it was a family that we knew way back when at Central Prez. And Romney, this particular daughter, one of their daughters, was working as the hostess at this restaurant. And I walked in and I went, you're a Graniason, you're Romney. She had a big smile. I said, yeah, Mr. Ricks, it's good to see you. I said, well, you cheated because my name was written in that book. And you wouldn't have recognized me. She goes, no, I, I would have recognized you. But the point was, I knew she was. Why? Because of her countenance. Do people get an idea of Jesus by looking at my countenance, at your countenance, as the way we go about our lives? Does our blamelessness, and not in a self-righteous way, but in, in a sense of humility and care for others and serving others and just the general tone of our lives make people want to know God more? One of our Father's directives is that we're blameless, but he also says that we are to shine. This, you could also look at it out of, out of the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus says you are the light of the world. Uh, but look here at verse 15, that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. Our Father's directives is that we draw attention to our faith in him, not ourselves, but that we are to show the pathway that people could look at our lives and they could get a sense of the mercy and the grace of God. That's why we told those stories this morning. You know, we could have shown the video and said, hey, remember 2028, wasn't that a great day? We could have moved on. But as I heard those people talk, you know, kind of off camera, so to speak, as I heard them talk and just tell their stories, I'm like, we, we got to share these. People, people got to hear this. Why? Because it's part of God shining through us. It's part of, of God's work in telling his story. And God is not a God of darkness. God is not a, a God that shrouds himself. He's not a God that hides himself. He's a God that makes himself known and makes himself seen and makes himself visible. But, but perhaps there are lots of people in our community that, that it's going to be a long time before they hear a sermon, but maybe when they interact with you this week, they'll see one. And maybe they'll experience the love of God as we're directed to shine. And then sixth and finally, in our Father's directives, Paul reminds us that we're to hold fast. Verse 16, among whom you shine as lights of the world, holding fast to the word of life. In other words, acting on what you know. As you study the word and and as you read the word of God and you learn it, you then are called to apply it to your lives. I'm called to apply it to my life. That's the solution for this bent and twisted world. 
is that we hold fast to the gospel of Jesus Christ and we share that with others. And even through the storms of life, I mean, we heard some of the storms, whether it was from a, a person who's been, uh, finds himself homeless or a person who's lost a spouse and has a major life change, our faith, we hold fast in those moments. That's the answer to a bent and a twisted world that's lost in sin. So those are the directives of our fathers. What are the assurances he gives us? How do we know that, that this is, is going to kind of work its way out in our lives, uh, not just by our energy, but by God's doing? And I only have three assurances, but I want to give them to you this morning. And they're woven into this passage. This is what I love. Paul doesn't spend time saying, now do this stuff, and then eventually I'll kind of tell you, you know, that it'll be okay. But he weaves both of them together. And the first is simply this. We have the assurance that our father is working before it ever dawned on us to do so. So Paul says, work out your salvation with fear and trouble. Go out there and practice it. Go out and, and, and get after it. Try it on. Work through. See uh, what you can learn. Long before that ever happens, God is already working in your life and in my life. Verse 13. We work out our salvation with fear and trembling. Why? Verse 13. For it is God who works in you, both the will and to work for his good pleasure. My outworking is the result of his inward life, the inward work that he's doing in my life. It's the transformation that takes place through the power of the word of God and the power of the Holy Spirit, those two things coupled together that come to bear in my life, that God pours into my life, right? That transforms my life. God was doing that. Before I said, Jesus, I accept you as my Lord and Savior, God had already saved me. The Spirit of God had come into my life, and he gave me the ability to say to God, I believe, I trust. And I didn't learn that till years after I was a Christian. I thought I took the first step towards God, and he reciprocated to my faith by, by allowing me to become a Christian. But he was the one that put the notion in my heart in the first place. He made my heart alive through the Holy Spirit. So when I heard the gospel, I could say, that's it. I believe God is the first agent at work in my life. I was talking to a man recently, and he was very frustrated about some sin in his life. And, uh, and maybe some other men could relate to this. I certainly could as he was talking with me. And he said, I'm so frustrated that I just can't get past this one particular sin. I just am I get so upset with myself. You know, but I hate this sin. I just can't stand it. But I, but I, but I seem to kind of keep going back to it. And he, and he was very frustrated. I said, well, let, well, we can talk about some things we can do in that particular area of your life. But do you understand that you hating your sin is evidence that God's in your life? If the Holy Spirit of God isn't in your heart, if, if you're not a disciple of Jesus by God's grace, you don't hate your sin. You excuse your sin. You, you use blaming other people to avoid looking at your sin. You, you live in denial. Everybody else is wrong, and if they would just understand you, the world would be better. And, and that's a pretty general statement, but it's a true statement. Because you've got to do something with your sin. You know it's there. If you're here this morning and you're not a believer in Jesus, you know there's things wrong in your life. If you don't, you're, you're delusional. Ask the people around you. They'll be happy to tell you the things that are wrong in your life. People around me are happy to share those things with me. What do you do with that? How do you sleep at night? Well, you can blame it on other people. You can excuse it. You can pretend like it's not a problem. Or you can come to the grace and the mercy of God. And that's what God does in our lives. So I was able to say to this brother, 
God's working even though you don't feel like you're holding up your end of the deal. He's at work or you would never have that feeling in your life. It's a great assurance for us to know that even in those moments of struggle when we feel like it's one step forward and two steps back, God is the God who is a father working in our lives. Second assurance that we have is not only that our father is working, but that we are God's children. Look at verse 15, right? That you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish. We are the adopted sons and daughters of God. And I've preached on this topic often. I'm not going to spend much time on it this morning, but reminding you that you belong to the king. You're, you're a prince or a princess. You belong to a heavenly father who is a king. And we are without blemish. Why? Because we're perfect and we always get it right? No, but because Jesus was perfect for us. And his grace is applied to us. And Jesus says, I don't lose any of my children. I, I'll bring them all home. You might be in great despair this morning. You might be thinking, you know, I just can't, there's no way God would love me after the, the week I just had. Friends, you're without blemish because of Christ, not because you're perfect, not because you haven't sinned, but because Jesus has paid for all of our sins, past, present, and future. And that's not a license so we go out and sin, but rather it's a reason why we come here and sing on Sunday morning. And we rejoice. And we take hope even when we are struggling mightily because we are the children of God. And that is his assurance. And when God the Father stops believing it, then it'll stop being true. But he's promised he'll never stop thinking that way. That is a gift he gives us for all of eternity. And the third assurance we have, not only that God our Father is working, not only that we are God's children, but that we are God's light. That we are the ones through whom God illuminates the world. Verse 15, right? Among whom you shine as lights in the world. God intends for people to look at us and see the way. And he promises us that he will shine his light through us. So he initiates our obedience. And he does that because it's pleasing to him. I didn't spend time with that verse this morning. But God gets a kick out of the fact that we follow him and that we trust him. As, you, as we, he wills and acts according to his good pleasure. His good pleasure is that you and I trust in Jesus actively every day of our lives and follow him. You think about a parent who gets a great kick out of, out of one of their kids kind of getting it right. Who's more excited that, you know, the child who wins the, the championship or gets a better grade on a test than they've ever gotten before or, 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 or makes the school play when they try it out, or is the parent more excited? Well, I think everybody knows the answer to that. Uh, but I got, a, I got an email from our youngest son, Jordan, this week uh, that is to this point. And um, Jordan, done, Jordan is a man of few words, uh, but he has a very dry sense of humor. And so uh, this is an email we got from him after probably like a month of not hearing from Jordan. And uh, here's what he says. Hi, family. And he writes to all of us. So it's Cindy, me, and, and his siblings and, and their spouses. I haven't told you yet, uh, but I've actually been seeing a girl and we're getting married. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> Like, if I could reach through that computer screen and grab you, I would. <laughs> I just wanted to let you all know that I just went through my first annual review at Cerner, and I received a promotion and a slight raise. I couldn't have done it without you guys. We're all, you were all very supportive of me over the past year, and I'm very grateful that I have you as my family. I read that quickly so I don't tear up. Who is more proud of Jordan getting a promotion and a raise, Jordan or, or his dad? Dumb question. <laughs> he kind of went, that's a nice thing. And I'm like, oh, let's celebrate. Let's have a party, right? Your heavenly father feels that way about you. I know a lot of you have a hard time believing that, but it's true. 
It's not because of what you do. It's because of his character. So he tells us what to do in the context of the assurances that he's there with us. What kind of neighbors are we going to be when we, uh, when we move into Green Tree? I was actually uh, at the parking lot last night uh, with my brother and my sister and my mom, and we were having an ice cream from Andy's. And uh, four people walked across the parking lot and started looking at the playground and kind of peeking through the window. And I said, this is going to be fun because they had no idea who I am. We're, we're kind of on the other side of the parking lot. So I walked over and I said, hey, you want to go through this building? I know a secret way to get in here, right? And uh, I, I know how we can get in here. You want to look around? And they're like, no, 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 we, we, we probably shouldn't do that. Um, what is this, this place anyway? I said, well, it's actually Green Tree Community Church. And it's a, it's a really kind of a cool place where, you know, people who, you know, are pretty messed up come and, and, and experience the love of God. Now, do you want to go through? And they're like, no, no, thanks. <laughs> they're not quite ready yet. They're not quite convinced. And I think that's why God's given us this place, so that more people just like that, because that's where we have been, would actually learn that there's an opportunity to follow God's directives in our lives because of the grace in which we stand in Jesus. That would allow us to be neighbors that people would probably be really glad to have. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your mercy and for your grace. Father, we thank you that you call us to a life of joyful obedience. You tell us, obey, it's a better pathway. But you, you, you don't hate us when we don't. You, you don't punish us. You give us direction. You give us discipline. You correct us. But you assure us that you're with us and that you love us and that we can do these things through Christ. And so, Lord, this is not about us being holier than thou. This is not about us being really good people that, that you know everybody just looks at it and goes, gosh, I wish I could be like them but that we would be a group of people that our salvation becomes more and more deeply embedded in our lives, that we just we practice more, we, we exercise our salvation more, we fine-tune it in order that other people would experience the grace that you've so freely given to us. So, Father, we pray that as we think about this move, we think about where you're taking us, Father, um, help us to be the neighbors that would point people to Jesus. We pray in his name. Amen. Please stand and join us as we sing this praise to our Lord.